Find Your Focus is a recharging space for the ambitious introverted woman. Grab a quick energy boost and reflect on how you want to show up as an introverted leader in your personal and professional life. Here's some inspiring stories of people around the world who've done things differently from society's extroverted expectations. Your host, Heather, a woman's leadership and life transitions coach, founder of a restored radiance coaching for the ambitious introvert, international communicator and marketer, world traveler, UK expat and fellow introvert. Heather aims to help ambitious introverted women find their unique leadership voice and create life transition roadmaps from career changes to moving countries or cities. Join Heather every Tuesday to find your focus, to fill your mindset with positivity and motivation to go after your dreams using your own unique energy blueprint. Your perceived weaknesses are your powerhouse. Before we get started, here's a quick note from Heather. Welcome, welcome, ambitious introvert soul. I'm so happy to have you here on the Find Your Focus podcast. These podcast episodes are crafted with love for you every single week, and I hope this content serves you and recharges you. Now, a couple of quick notes before we begin. I uh, record these uh, podcasts in my home here in Washington, D.C. I live about a mile away from the White House, so you're going to enjoy all the, the sounds of my neighborhood from time to time. And it'll just feel like you're joining me on the couch, and we are diving in deep on great combos with our tea and coffee in hand. So welcome to my home. Also, I'm all about the authentic conversations. And so I want people to feel that they can express themselves, their true selves here. So there will be explicit language from time to time. So keep that in mind um, when you are listening to these. Another note, I refer to women. Now, this is a safe and welcoming place. And I want anyone who feels, who identifies as a woman um, to feel welcome here. And of course, if you don't, identify as a woman, you are also welcome here, but it's primarily for those um, lovely souls who identify as women and ambitious introverts. So with that in mind, let's jump into our next episode. Lots of love. Here is your host. Hi, ladies. I'm excited to bring today's guest to you today. She is an international yoga teacher and trainer, and we'll be talking about her life as an introvert. So Eva Hamilton is a certified yoga teacher and educator who leads yoga teacher trainings, retreats, and workshops internationally. Since her 200-hour certification at age 17, Eva has since completed over 1,000 hours of yoga teacher training and has taught for over 12 years. Eva's own yoga practice is rooted in transforming anxiety into freedom. Through her teaching, she desires to help her students do the same. Apart from asana, Eva is passionate about educating on the deeper mechanisms of yoga. She gets very excited to talk about fascia, philosophy, anatomy, embodiment, recalibrating our nervous systems, and taking our practice beyond the poses. Eva's love of yoga drew her to major in religious studies at Queen's University in Canada, which allowed her to study mysticism, religion, psychology, and yoga in the East and West in an academic framework. Eva has taught four 200-hour certification trainings and leads continuing education courses for yoga teachers. She develops her own yin yoga and myofascial release course and is currently developing new trainings on the chakra system and restorative yoga. Her intention in each class is to craft a nourishing and supportive energy for her students' individual self-exploration. Through the medium of yoga, she encourages her students to foster acceptance and wholeness, not perfection. Originally from Canada, Eva's love of yoga has evolved alongside her love of travel. Eva has taught yoga in Canada, Mexico, Scotland, France, Spain, Thailand, and Italy, and now lives in northern Portugal with her partner, where they are building a dreamy yoga retreat at a vineyard in the Douro Valley. Eva offers online classes and private mentoring for students and teachers 
through her website at www.eva.yoga, as well as a host of international retreats and trainings this year in Morocco, Italy, Portugal, and Canada. And without further ado, here's Eva. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, of course. It's absolutely a joy to have you. So, girl, you have, I can't wait for the girls to get to know you, um, but would you be able to jump in and tell a little bit about um, how you got into yoga and how it's shaped you into the fabulous introverted yoga instructor you are today? <laughs> it's so funny when you say that, just introverted yoga instructor, because <laughs> I think when you hear yoga instructor, the very job has this component of like public speaking to it. Yes. Um, and leading and standing up in front of the group of people. And it's so funny, too, because when I think back to when I first got into yoga, I had a lot of anxiety. And uh, mm-hmm. um, that was really why. I think from the time I was 13, I started having panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And when I was 15, um, my stepmother got me a yoga mat and 10 yoga classes for my birthday. And uh, I joke about this, but I remember thinking it was so lame, like... I, I think I wanted a hair straightener or something different. <laughs> it, was, um, it was really, really good for me. I think I realized from the very first class, especially laying on my back at the end in Shavasana and just feeling like that hum and buzz of stress in my body grow really quiet and grow really calm, that, um, yeah, that there was a, a deeper connection to this practice for me. And I'd always been someone also with... Uh, with asthma and mm-hmm. so the idea of like no activities did not feel comfortable to me it would almost increase that anxiety so I was never like a, a sporty girl growing up mm-hmm. but uh, with yoga the fact that you move with your breath you're always checking in with your breath as you're as you're going that made a really powerful connection to me Wow. No, I can imagine. And so you had that 10 class pass. Did you, cause I'd imagine, I remember myself at 15. I don't think for me personally, I was able to commit to much um, consistently, but you could be somebody completely different. Were you able to commit to the 10 class pass and what was um, your involvement with yoga after that? I was really encouraged by my stepmother, by my other mother, who's the, the woman who owns the local studio, and by my mother. Um, so the three of them were, you know, gave me a lot of gentle nudges to keep going with this. And especially then when I was 17, um, I had the opportunity to do my teacher training with a really wonderful traditional Indian teacher in Ottawa, mm-hmm. uh, where I grew up. And um, I didn't have my driver's license yet, so my mom drove me every day to teacher training and said, well, I might as well become a yoga teacher too. So I think that that additional encouragement really helped. And through that teacher training, um, which was in 2008, Uh I just really fell in love with this. And as much as the idea of teaching a class, and when you teach those first practicum classes in training, it's terrifying. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Now that I'm on the other end of that, and I, I love what I get to do now, which is teaching yoga teacher trainings, it's quite funny because the day that you come in and everyone's going to teach their first class, there's just this energy of like fear and panic in the room, right? <laughs> yes. And for the first few years I taught yoga, I did feel you know, quite a bit of anxiety before teaching. Mm-hmm. But now I just feel when I get to teach a class, like I'm playing my favorite game. It just feels really natural. It just feels really fun to get to be in this space. And in that moment, you're not present or aware of anything else. You know, you don't think about whether you're, you're hungry or you're tired. You're just there with your students. Yeah, it became the thing I, I just really wanted to do with my life. So um, I went to university, but I was lucky to get to study religious studies at Queen's University, which actually had programs called Yoga in the East and West and Mysticism and Religion and Psychology. So mm-hmm. I kind of approached it from an academic framework. And then I went to India and studied for uh, six weeks with my teacher, Vishva, there and did my, my 500 hours. And then opened the yoga studio by the time I was 22 with a business partner in Canada. Damn, girl. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about, um, yeah, opening a studio at, at what you said, 22? 
Yeah, it was with a business partner in the small town in Ontario, unlike Huron, that I was living in at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, it was funny because when I think back to that point, I actually had a lot of anxiety and I thought, you know, everything's perfect mm-hmm. because um, I had done the training I was wanted to do in India. I had opened the yoga studio and I really thought... I had everything I ever wanted, and my anxiety was awful. (laughs) I was really afraid, too, that people would think I was a fraud or something in some way. When you look at a yoga teacher who's, you know, leading a class in a way and talking about relaxation and peace and wellness, and then Mm -hmm. I would go home and have panic attacks. Uh, Something felt very disjointed there. But actually, that became this big kind of catalyst for me that was like, okay, I want to understand this better. Why am I feeling this way? Mm -hmm. And that's really what led me more into restorative yoga and also led me into um, studying yoga for the nervous system. Mm. Really, it's such a powerful tool. So, so many different aspects of yoga practice, and that does include certain postures and as well as breathing techniques, meditations really do have the power to recalibrate our nervous systems out of fight and flight, that real survival state, um, and all the physiological and mental impacts of it into this place of rest and digest where we can really feel calm and centered and allow the body to really come back to that place of homeostasis, a place of wellness. So that was kind of where my yoga started going. And uh, I still do love teaching vinyasa. I do like to flow sometimes, but I'm way more connected to the practices like yin yoga, restorative yoga, also myofascial release, which is a self-massage method, because I think these really bring us inward. And there's enough in our lives that, you know, takes our energy and interacting with the world outside of us. Mm -hmm. To me, these, these deeper, more internal practices are way more powerful. Wow. That's really amazing how you were able to, in that moment, be very self-aware and ask yourself those questions um, of, you know, what you need and what was causing you anxiety. And it's really fascinating how your your pain of being anxious led you down this beautiful route of self-discovery and coping and then being able to teach those tools that you learned. Yeah. Um it's so funny. I was talking with a private client yesterday. I think both Rumi and a oh, yoga teacher quoting Rumi, of course, but both <laughs> Rumi and Leonard Cohen um, said that the wound is the place where the light enters and these parts of ourselves that can feel really tender or really achy or really vulnerable are often the, the same sites that I think a lot of healing potential emerges from. Mm, absolutely. And like I would imagine just with given my own um, journeys through the the pain points and the struggles, you know, as you're retelling it now, it sounds so straightforward and so easy. Um, but obviously we know as humans, whenever we're in that sticky middle part of trying to figure things out, um, how frustrating it can be. So would you be able to explain maybe that moment of moving through that stickiness of uncertainty and, and trying to to figure out those coping mechanisms. Were there any tips that you give um, to people maybe in the same position? One of the, the things that was most powerful for me at the time was a three-day workshop I took with a yoga teacher named Bo Forbes, who's a clinical psychologist and yoga therapist. And she really talks about a relationship between anxiety and disembodiment that inherently when we're really depressed or we're really anxious we're disconnected from our physical bodies Mm -hmm. and by coming back to a place where we feel present and connected and safe in our bodies which sometimes like the feeling of anxiety I remember the feeling of like sitting inside your own skin feels uncomfortable feels Mm -hmm. restless and so to really use these practices whether that's and also, okay, so there's this thing people do where we're getting stressed, we're getting stressed, we go to one yoga class a week, and then we feel like we've regulated things. Um, but the difference that was really powerful for me, and I learned this through Bo's work, was regular, consistent practices as a little interruption whenever I'm feeling anxious. So doing a breathing technique, 
doing a visualization, doing little five-minute practices here and there um, mm. that help you to moderate on a more consistent basis rather than storing up all of my tension until I get to go to yoga on Thursday. Oh, so true. And so say somebody is sitting here and on their lunch break and they're like, oh, that'd be great to do a five-minute exercise, but I'm either working in a cubicle or people are going to think I'm weird. What would you recommend that they do? And would you be able to describe a bit more about that, that breathing technique? Sure. Um, one of the most powerful things with your breath is noticing where you're breathing. So if you're breathing short, tight, shallow breaths, mm-hmm. you're generally breathing from your scalenes, which are the muscles coming down the front of your neck into your collarbones that kind of lift and drop your collarbones. You can imagine that almost like a hyperventilation. Mm-hmm. Versus when you watch a, a baby or a puppy breathe, you notice how their belly breathes or their whole body breathes. And it's, it's really this kind of ripple effect from the diaphragm. So when we breathe to our diaphragm, that's breathing to that drum of muscle across our lower ribs. And ultimately, deep diaphragmatic breath compared to the short, shallow chest breath, that's going to really reassure the whole body, the whole nervous system that we're safe. And also lengthening your exhale relative to your inhale. So if you think breathing in for a count of three and breathing out for a count of five or six, just a simple repetition of that can be really helpful because the exhale is more related to our vagus nerve, mm-hmm. which is the highway of the body's relaxation response. So your breath is such a powerful tool because you don't need to have a yoga mat or any equipment or any specific setting. We can be in any environment with any conditions in our life and we can breathe. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've used that so many times. I've even had to, to break um, sometimes during work and run to the bathroom and just use a cubicle as like my little, um, <laughs> my little nook yeah. to, to yeah. do that um, deep breathing or the alternate nostril breathing, which has been amazing. And you're so right. I tend to hold a lot of tension in my shoulders um, just with being up in my head myself. So it's really nice to notice when I do do the deep breathing, like you're mentioning, how less tension there is in my shoulders after that. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, The breath is, you know, we always talk about it as being the space between the body and the mind, but... um, as we start to breathe deeper, that's really going to release tension on both levels. Oh, fascinating. It's, it's really cool how something we take for granted every single day can actually switch us from going from being anxious to a bit more peaceful and restful. It's almost like because it's always there, we kind of take it for granted and don't pay attention to it. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's a really mental, emotional barometer if we're, if we're paying more regular attention to our breath. Absolutely. So I know that you hold um, uh, retreats and workshops all around the world. And I'm curious to know how you cope with anxiety now while teaching yoga and holding retreats and traveling around the world. Yeah, that's, uh, it's quite a, a departure from, I think, where I felt back at that point. And it's a real gradual process mm-hmm. from waking up and having panic attacks to getting on a plane and going to the other side of the world with really no certainty and expectations. (laughs) Um, So there was actually, I mean, it was quite a process for a few years. I worked with a really, really wonderful psychotherapist and just did quite a lot of internal work. And I think from that, had a better knowing of myself and was able to identify some of those patterns that evoke my anxiety that also a lot of it was coming from a source of perfectionism Mm -hmm. uh, which you and me have talked about before and then there was just kind of a point where things weren't really working and uh, I had left a seven-year relationship I no longer wanted to be in a business partnership and I was given an opportunity to move to the other side of the world and teach yoga in Edinburgh, Scotland, which is where we met. And I made that decision, I think, in February, got the visa in March, and moved at the end of April. 
So it was quite quick, but it was just something that felt really right. And um, I think at that point, I wasn't operating from that same place of stress and anxiety, although that was a really kind of difficult transformation, Mm -hmm. letting go of a lot of things and basically building a whole new reality in a lot of ways where it's very freeing because you get to let go of certain stories that don't really reflect you Mm -hmm. that well anymore and step into something new which can have a lot of uncertainty, but uncertainty is also possibilities. I think from there, I really fell in love with travel and wanted that to have a a bigger role in the kind of work that I do. And also I transitioned gradually out of teaching and making my income from your general weekly yoga classes on the Mm -hmm. studio schedule, uh, which I love teaching. But to me, it's much more rewarding to be teaching retreats, yoga teacher trainings, workshops, things where you get to take a little bit of a deeper dive into Mm -hmm. the content compared to just kind of going through your sequence. You know, there's more space for conversation and to look at some of the um, deeper mechanisms and philosophies of yoga, which I really love. So it definitely was a process of feeling more confident within myself and then being able to bring that out into the world. That's amazing. And I I think you touched there as well about um, something that a lot of introverted women can understand, where you were in your daily life um, teaching daily classes, you enjoyed it, but that you you really truly connected on the, like you were saying, the deeper dives being the retreats and the workshops. And I think as introverts, we love that deep dive, don't we, into the soul and connecting with others on really juicy topics. Was that transition from daily classes to workshops, was that through trial and error or was it through a really decisive awareness and action on your part? <laughs> decisive awareness, that's interesting. It was quite impulsive actually at the time <laughs> where I was in a situation that really just did not feel right. Mm-hmm. There was, it was lacking uh, an authenticity that I needed with the love that I put into the work that I do. So it was more of a, uh, I went to Paris for a weekend and got back and impulsively quit my job and then was like, okay, let's figure out what's going to happen next. And I was invited to Spain to teach a teacher training. And then I was invited to Thailand to teach a teacher training. And then just wanted to continue more with that and with the workshops as well. So it actually just happened really naturally. But also I had my own kind of internal resistance to that because it really brought up this narrative of, am I good enough? Do Do I really have what it takes to certify and educate teachers? And especially even at that point, I was only 27, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like no one's really going to take me seriously, which has been a theme, I think, for me for a long time, because I started teaching yoga when I was 17. But then when I think of people are teaching teacher trainings in this space right now who have so much less training and experience than I actually do, it felt really good and really natural when I started teaching. And... Um, and then that space now feels so much more enriching and rewarding to teach the teacher trainings and, and those things where, you know, I've written now my own yin yoga textbook, which uh-huh. is 120 pages. <laughs> and, um, whenever I teach workshops as well, it's usually a handout. It could be anywhere from like one to 20 pages. <laughs> but I really love giving people more to explore. And whether you're going to a yoga class because your hamstrings are tight or because you're genuinely interested in the philosophy whatever brings me there to that space for whatever purpose but I just like leaving the door open for people to come a little bit deeper into that knowledge and into that practice if that's something they want to do oh that's beautiful I totally really and uh, ladies I've been to many of her um, yoga classes and they are absolutely amazing and as a fellow introvert myself I absolutely love her like added little gifts of handouts and information. I feel like I kind of walk away with an extra little luxury after I finish the class. Good. That makes me really happy. (laughs) So, Eva, I'm curious to see whether you actually have always identified as an introvert or do you feel like your introverted nature 
um, has shaped your yoga practice preferences and style? That is a really good question. It's funny because I don't think of myself as an extroverted person, Mm -hmm. but like I said at the beginning, I feel like the nature of the work is something that brings you out. Mm -hmm. And I remember someone close once saying to me, well, you're an introvert, but the fact that you care about other people is why you look like an extrovert. The nature of the work, when it comes to being a yoga teacher, it's kind of awkward sometimes because you're not a physiotherapist, you're not a doctor, but you can really help people with a lot of physical pain, with their posture, with their movement. And then on the other side, you're you're not a therapist or a counselor, unless maybe you are and you have a degree of that, but you can really help people with their stress, mm-hmm. with bringing a little more mindfulness into their lives. So that stuff to me was all really, really rewarding, as much as I'm very cautious to kind of keep those boundaries of my role as kind of playing in between the space of the body and the mind and as a facilitator of yoga classes. But, you know, that was the part that's like, well, if you want to do this, you have to stand up in front of a room with people and you have to talk. Mm. (laughs) There's there's no kind of alternative to that. (laughs) If you really want to share this practice and do this work, I think that's that's where it comes from. But at the same time, I'm not a, a hardcore power teacher I really like bringing in very kind of meditative verbiage and cues in my class language is something that's really important to me and the use of words can be so magical and so powerful in the space when you just find the right combination of words that help someone's kind of body intentions just melt and uh, yeah and so primarily my favorite practices to teach are gentle flow where it's a little bit more um, space for kind of intuition and exploration. Mm-hmm. I really love teaching yin yoga. Um, I really love teaching restorative yoga. So yin yoga, you are holding an active stretch, but mostly kind of seated and supported poses. And you're hold for about three to five minutes to really kind of stay present, stay open to whatever sensations, whatever feelings and phenomena comes and goes. Mm-hmm. And then restorative yoga is even softer. Restorative yoga is like that comfy, cozy pillow fort. You're using lots of props, bolsters, blankets, blocks to just hold the body in a place of complete comfort. Um, and really, it's a tool for the nervous system. So you're not trying to stretch the body, even in restorative yoga. You just want the body to feel comfy and cozy so that, you know, it's funny. When we feel fully physically supported, we don't really differentiate whether this is mental or emotional or physical support. We just feel supported as a human being. Mm-hmm. And it starts to unpattern a lot of our stress. Oh, it's so true. And you touched um, very briefly there, and I kind of want to dive in a little deeper about how do you hold space for others and for yourself as an introverted yoga instructor? It was funny when I was thinking about this before, it's the very nature of yoga is awareness and it's fostering non-judgment. So one of my favorite definitions of holding space is witnessing and validating someone else's emotional state while simultaneously being present to your own, being there for someone else, but also kind of not abandoning yourself in the same moment, but being there with no judgment and really just being in the space of acceptance, of openness, and to see what happens. It's interesting in, in a yoga practice when I'm teaching and facilitating in a room to me, and we do this as an exercise in the teacher training that I teach. I make everyone do an eye-gazing meditation where um, you just sit in complete silence without even using your words in eye contact with someone um, and just remain there in presence. And that can feel really scary and yeah. really vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're afraid to be seen. Sometimes we're afraid to look a little bit deeper but really just this open field of awareness. So I find when I'm teaching yoga, if I overplan the class, it doesn't feel natural. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a balance of um, planning enough to be spontaneous and then just really being there with the students, observing the breath, um, 
And we kind of create the class together mm-hmm. in that way when you're able to see the energy level and the experience around you. So it's one thing in a group class. It's another thing when very often after class, you sit with an individual who's maybe still processing something. And like, for example, if you've ever cried in a yoga class. Mm-hmm. All the time. <laughs> yeah. That makes you probably in the majority of yoga practitioners at some point or another. Sometimes you just need a good cry in child's pose or shavasana <laughs> or a bolster pillow. And sometimes, you know, it's just an opportunity to process all the stress that you've been holding and carrying around with you. Or sometimes it's out of absolutely nowhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always just like to sit with the individual. I watch my body language, that it's really open. And same when I teach yoga class because... Mm-hmm. If I'm just sitting naturally, I tend to really close off my body language. I tend to cross my legs or, you know, hold my arms. Versus when I'm leading a class, I try to keep my body language really open and really receptive. Mm-hmm. Um, same if I'm sitting with an individual. And also in our language, you know, as a yoga teacher, I often use the words, I invite you to, which mm-hmm. gives someone an option, gives them permission to do what feels best to them compared to I have such a pet peeve when yoga teachers say, I want you to have a downward dog. It doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what I want. It matters what the student wants and what feels good to their body. Um, so I think it really comes down to just allowing people that really powerful space sometimes to feel seen and feel heard, but also taking care of your own emotional and your own energetic needs and sometimes I've had experiences with students, and, and I remind teachers of this in teacher trainings too, that you know, if you have someone with a real uh, strong, a really bad physical injury, you would be referring them. You would refer them to a physiotherapist or to a doctor. And that sometimes we might need to do the same thing for people if they're telling us that they're having really difficult thoughts or... Um, you know, sometimes we might need to refer off to be like, hey, have you ever talked to a therapist mm-hmm. about this as well? So that double part of witnessing, validating someone else's experiences, but still making sure that you feel safe, you feel comfortable in mm-hmm. that experience. Oh, that's so important. And I really love the explanation and the examples you gave about nonverbal um, communication with body language as well, because I think that's something that we don't even think about, but yet it accounts for a lot, about 60 to 80% of our overall communication is nonverbal. So true. So I'd be really interested as well. Um, So, you know, once you hold that space for others and, you know, you leave the studio and you, um, you go your separate ways, how, how do you recharge um, yourself post instructing and and how do you look after yourself as an introvert? (laughs) It's really funny because um, I was thinking about this Mm -hmm. and Cover my energy. There's some, some people I think who get energy from being around other people. Uh-huh. For me, I need to be alone to kind of recover and restore. Yeah, and it's interesting. Different classes, I feel different things. So if I teach two or three even vinyasa flows in a day, that's more active, more movement. Um, I usually feel more energized versus mm-hmm. for me, one of the styles I love the most, which is the restorative yoga. I feel exhausted after teaching that class. Wow. And it's funny. It's not like I'm demonstrating a lot of movement. I'm talking to people and assisting them, but mostly verbal, mm-hmm. into laying on a bolster pillow and covering up with a blanket. And then I might come around and, and just make sure the pose is well supported. But um, those are the classes that I tend to feel exhausted after. And I think if there's there's an extra attention to the energy in the room. Mm-hmm. And I feel that after the fact. So um, creativity for me is a really good, uh, it's kind of a diagnostic thing for me as well as a good way to recharge. Uh-huh. So um, when I'm really anxious, I have no creative energy. Mm-hmm. But when I'm happy, when I'm relaxed, I will make malas, I will paint, I'm into a real macrame thing right now. So, and a lot of my work as well, I spend a lot of time on Canva and I love that. I actually get really excited when I get to make a new poster or a new website. 
um, because there's an artistic and a visual component to that. So mm-hmm. personally for me, there's, there's an artistic side or a creative side that gets me out of my intellectual side. And yeah. that is a real nice kind of place of recovery. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really important to, as introverts, because like you said, we, we often will get our energy from, from ourselves. We're little generators and, um, taking time to ourselves to recharge is really important to then be able to look after others. Would you have any tips for introverts who are perhaps wanting to become a yoga instructor? Sure. So I think one of the most important things is to really establish a self practice. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I have struggled with so much on and off and having a, a consistent mm-hmm. role in my life. Um, but that's so important, especially when you step into a yoga teacher training, that you already have your own kind of internal knowledge of the practice and just something to support your own energy. It's also, I think, really important for us as teachers to find our own authentic voice. And I'll often say, you know, you could give a list of poses to five different teachers and say, teach them in this order, and you're going to have five completely different classes mm-hmm. and how important it is to bring your own energy and your own experience into that class. So it's a real process of trusting yourself. That's so important. And finding your voice is, oh gosh, that's such a journey in itself. Mm-hmm, definitely. I would say one thing for uh, if you are a very kind of actually introverted person, I do have one little pet peeve when I go to yoga classes and the teacher is closing her eyes. Um, And that's the difference between, you know, being there and having your personal practice Mm -hmm. and teaching yoga when we're actually there to facilitate for other people. So it's quite funny. I'll be in a class sometimes and I'll realize the teacher hasn't actually looked at her students in like the last five minutes. And that's that's kind of the difference. And I'll have classes where I'm leading citation and I realize my eyes are closed and that's a reminder to go home and do my own practice because my own yoga practice is for me. But when I teach my classes, that's for my students, you know? Oh, yeah. That's such a powerful um, reminder actually and a good pointer for anyone, whether they are a wannabe instructor, a current instructor, or even somebody in a leadership role who um, is, is just starting and, you know, isn't really present with their own um, group or team. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that's where it should feel very, very kind of interactive, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so much, if we are naturally introverted people, I think we are more likely to dig around in the philosophies and to really um, put intention into our sequences. And there's a lot of of beauty that comes from that. But when we're in the space of teaching, and something we might even enjoy more in that case, and something that I find so rewarding, Mm -hmm. is teaching smaller groups and teaching one-on-ones. Because I can and I have taught classes of 35 people. But I tend to find a lot more connection in that context of six or 12 students for one-on-one because I find you can get a much more enriching connection. Absolutely. But it really depends on you individually because there's people who thrive off that energy of, you know, the, the giant space of 60 students. But for me, it feels much more much more enjoyable sometimes in a smaller group where you, you have more interaction and it feels more personal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm curious as well. Um, I know you mentioned holding retreats and workshops and I was intrigued to know, um, cause I would find that really daunting as an introvert, you know, at least jumping in at, at the beginning. Uh, what were your initial thoughts when you started to think about holding retreats and what made you hesitate and want, and what made you want to begin? My first retreat was in 2015 with one of my really dear friends, Esperanza, and uh, she, um, yeah, she asked me if I do one with her in Mexico, and you have all these thoughts of like, oh no, what if nobody signs up? What if, you know, we put down a deposit and it doesn't work out where people don't like it? But ultimately, I trusted her, I trusted myself, we did our research, and 
it was just something that I really wanted to, to do to create this beautiful experience for students to really immerse themselves. That was gorgeous. It was on a, a private beach in Mexico to just have this one week, you know, much deeper experience. And it became something that I really loved doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the beginning, there was a lot of resistance, a lot of fear. But it's something now that's become a really big part of my work, is building these experiences. So generally, we'll find a lovely location, and there'll be a class in the morning and a class in the evening, but a lot of freedom for people in between. And um, yeah, there are a lot of work. A lot of people see it on Instagram, and it looks so glamorous, so (laughs) fun. It's a lot of, most of the work of the retreat happens before the retreat ever starts. Mm. It's promotional aspect, the uh, arranging all of the students' uh, payments as well as all of the promotional stuff and um, tips and questions and supporting them with um, they're going to book their flights and stuff like this. So a lot of the work is in the background and then by the time I get there and we're teaching the retreat, it's like that's the fun part. but yeah, but also having um, having some energetic boundaries as well, because it's funny in a retreat space, I've found students will sometimes, you know, come knock on your door at 10 o'clock at night and to have that energy where I'm really open and available to hang out with you. But then I also have boundaries that this is, this is my recovery time. Mm-hmm so important um, to be able to fully show up. And I think you made a really good point there about being able to give yourself peace of mind by doing some research and allotting yourself enough time um, before the event even, before you even publicize the event to take care of yourself and get to know the, the venue and all the information that you need. And then you're able to connect on that beautiful one-on-one nurturing level as we introverts do so well. Yes, I I really like people to feel taken care of from the moment that they book into the retreat. Mm -hmm. And then I send out a welcome package um, that has all kinds of like helpful tips and packing information and answers most of their questions about, you know, traveling, the destinations, arrangements, pickups, so that they have that all in advance. And when they get there, they can just relax. There's none of the logistics or anything that they have to worry about. Oh, amazing. That sounds fantastic. Well, I can't wait to go to one of your retreats, my dear. (laughs) Yes, that would be amazing. (laughs) And I wanted to dive back into, um, we briefly touched on it, but I think a lot of people would be intrigued to know. So you did this kick-ass brave thing um, back in, um, was it 2017 or 16, where you decided spur of the moment to move to Scotland. Um, And I was wondering... If you could, you know, maybe just dive into about the adjustment phase on the other end and perhaps any tips you have for other introverts who've maybe just moved somewhere new and are really trying hard to protect their energy, but also not become isolated. That's so good. I was so lucky in that context when from the moment I kind of landed because of where I was working, there was a really awesome community of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that finding the community and the people that you share a lot of the same values and interests in, um, and you will find those kinds of people no matter where you go in the world. And even in Portugal now, I'm kind of um, posting and putting it out there that I'm looking to connect with the local yoga community. So finding people who have the shared interests that you do, as well as I definitely had a little nesting phase where it took me a while to kind of find my little apartment and nest into it where I felt like I could go out and work at this new job and meet all these new people but go down home and have my my place where I feel very safe and very nurtured even though I'm on the other side of the world and even in Thailand when I'd rent a little jungle house for like 300 bucks a month Mm -hmm. I would kind of do this thing and find a little shop that has a string of lights or you know, one little pillow and something like that, that for me just created this really kind of cozy little sanctuary. So um, no matter where I am, I kind of have a space that feels really, really supportive and really calm. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's the beautiful thing about traveling as an introvert because we're that, we're that little energy generator. Um, and so as long as we can find the places or create an atmosphere where we feel supported and we can go inward and really recharge, I think that what's, that's what makes it really fun as an introvert while you're traveling. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I went into, I'm curious as well, um, about what type of weekly rituals you um, do you plan for yourself to protect your time and energy or are they more organic and do you check in with how you feel and adjust accordingly? It's pretty organic just now because where I am just now we're, we're in the process of developing a yoga retreat in Portugal and um, my most regular ritual I've been really good this week with kind of over an hour daily yoga practice just for myself. Mm-hmm has felt so nice and so luxurious and um, like I said some creative things as well but it's quite funny actually when I think of the introvert subject right now Uh I will go sometimes almost five days without leaving the house because (laughs) it really is kind of my happy place I'll go for a walk um, and it kind of backs onto a big hill with a vineyard a beautiful view of the valley and there's oranges so I'll kick my bed outside and Mm -hmm. go and pick some oranges but for the most part I'm kind of really nesting in and one of the obstacles I'm finding which I'm working towards is learning Portuguese Mm -hmm. and I'll find times when I go out actually my boyfriend uh, will make sure that I order at the restaurant because he'll see that I'm a little more self-conscious trying to speak in Portuguese so Mm -hmm. he encourages me so currently that's kind of where I'm at but for a little nourishing rituals definitely yoga practice cooking is something I really love as well just like preparing a really lovely little nourishing meal mm-hmm. and uh, music is something that I really love and really random uh, mostly throwbacks I will uh-huh. say that this week my yoga practice has had a lot of uh Tina Turner. <laughs> yes. I wake up morning and I do not feel like inspired whatsoever. <laughs> and I'll have these days that I describe as the, like, I don't want to be inspiring today kind of day. Cause I used to always feel a lot of pressure to wake up and kind of be like inspiring when you're waking up in the morning and going into teach yoga classes. Yeah. It's a whole different, Oh my God, this is such an aside. But I remember the morning I woke up in, um, Donald Trump had just been elected president uh-huh. and I had to go teach a yoga class in an hour. And I was just in such a miserable mood. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want to teach yoga today. And my mom called and she's like, you know that you're going to make one person feel better today, then it's worth it. And sure enough, I got there and I watched a student lay down on the floor, a student from the States and uh-huh. covered her entire body with a blanket all the way up over her head. Oh. And the energy was just so dense and so heavy. This is actually one of my favorite holding space stories. Mm-hmm. But you just start, you know. Um, so, Yeah. Anyway, you know, the days when you just don't want to be inspiring. One thing I find that really helps me, at least, is music. So this week, instead of uh, the one day sitting down and doing my breathing and my meditation first, I just put on Tina Turner and got in maybe yoga swing and then Uh did my full yoga practice to Tina Turner. And at the end of it, it kind of turned into some of the chants she did that are very yoga chants Mm -hmm. with the children's choir. And it was so beautiful. So uh, it doesn't always look like the textbook perfect. Or I'll say, you know, your yoga practice doesn't have to look like the yogurt commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Consumer-friendly version of yoga. Yes, it can be messy. It can be raw. It can be um, just a little snippet. um, But you're showing up, and that's all that matters. Definitely, yeah. No, I know. I think I've told you about my Rhiannon shower, which was my old ritual when I just felt exhausted at the end of the day after doing like a nine-hour shift at a yoga studio mm-hmm. of teaching classes as well as cleaning the bathrooms and wow. uh, by the end of it I was just so tired I would get in the shower I would blast Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac which is my power song <laughs> and I would drink a glass of red wine in the shower to Fleetwood Mac 
And that was just like my ritual that would literally just wash away all of the energy of the day, much to my wonderful roommates, um, perhaps annoyance. (laughs) (laughs) I love that story so much. And I feel like everyone can incorporate that into their like at least weekly routine. Everything in balance and moderation, but yeah, a little sleep with that and a glass of red wine. <laughs> that is amazing. And yeah, why not? The queen herself, Stevie Nicks. <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, I'm also curious as well, since I have your amazing self here with us today, I was wondering what type of yoga would you recommend for ambitious introverts? I think that's interesting because some of my favorite, more introverted yogas, I would say, are the yin and the restorative. So when you hear yin yoga, that's like the yin yang symbol Uh and the yin side. When you look at that symbol, it's like you're looking downwards and it's actually like the bright side is the mountaintop Mm -hmm. and the dark side is the cave. So yin means internal, dark, quiet, soft. It's these qualities. And I think these are really wonderful practices, yin and restorative to recharge and I also think they take a lot of courage because it takes a lot of courage to sit still and feel what you are feeling and not push away from it and mm-hmm. be in that place of avoidance you know it's it's being radically present to what's going on beneath the surface the ambitious side though is sometimes I have to remind myself that Movement doesn't take away from my energy. Movement can also add to it. And those days when I'm feeling really sluggish and I don't want to do an active practice with some vinyasa, some warriors, when I kind of give myself a nudge to do it actually makes me feel more empowered, more awake, more energized. So it's really tapping in, I think, to that internal voice of what it is that I need and being open, you know, we might initially feel like we need something really still to recharge, but sometimes a little music and a little movement can help. So there's a beautiful word in yoga that I wanted to share, which is Pachahara. And Pachahara is the withdrawal of the senses or the resting of the senses. And we can bring this into almost any yoga practice as long as we're practicing this internal awareness. Maybe we're even doing an active practice, but we're closing our eyes and kind of pulling our attention more into ourselves. It's a shift from that external experience to that internal awareness. And so that's something that's a really big part of my practice. When I am just practicing for myself, I don't tend to open my eyes that much. And I don't really like teaching in yoga studios that have mirrors, to be honest, because I find it brings you away from that internal awareness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's such a good point. I I absolutely love actually going through the vinyasa, just closing my eyes and just seeing where I land and kind of, like you said, going inward and asking myself, how do I feel in this moment? How are my shoulders feeling? How are my legs? Is this serving me? And it's yeah. it's a really beautiful conversation you're having just with yourself rather than feeling that push and that need to deliver. Yeah. Absolutely. I think when we first learn yoga, we learn it very much through repetition and through observation of mirroring what the person, the teacher, or the students around us is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's very much um, that we're mirroring them, and then over time it becomes more building the poses from the inside out. And then a big piece of that also is realizing how beautifully unique all of our bodies are. I mean, in, in our own curves, and our own shapes, but also in our own bone structures. Yeah. And that has such a different impact on the poses. And something I talk about a lot is how yoga was designed for a 16-year-old male Indian pelvis. <laughs> I don't have one of those. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, women weren't really allowed to practice yoga until 100 years ago. So some of these poses are much better designed for male anatomy than female. So... You know, a lot of my practice has been about letting go of what the textbook pose is supposed to look like mm-hmm. and instead tuning in more internally to how does this feel in my body and what is the more functional version of this pose. Mm-hmm. So less about the form and more about the function, less about what it looks like and more about how it feels. Oh, I love that. And that's such a beautiful permission to just 
you know, give yourself acceptance and grace in the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, those moments when you just like, you're just feeling really overwhelmed and you really need that time out um, as an introvert, (laughs) what would you normally say or do? In a moment of overwhelm. Yeah. Are you sassy? Are you cheeky? Are you just like, peace out, dudes? I I just can't. (laughs) Sometimes I'm all of them, to be honest. (laughs) Mm, Okay. It depends on the situation. I've I've joked with you that I have a very low tolerance for inauthenticity, or often I'll say for bullshit. Yes, girl. Um, But if if I'm in a situation that really does not feel... um, authentic or sincere to me I tend to remove myself pretty quickly mm-hmm. but you know then there's also kind of a process of checking myself why is it that I am feeling overwhelmed and um, like with my partner realizing when I can be a little bit snappy which I was earlier today when the wi-fi wasn't working and the warm fire wasn't working <laughs> our house is pretty cold just now it's about 300 years old without mm-hmm. insulation and we're we're slowly patching <laughs> holes, but we don't actually have a, a solid roof at this moment. Um, but a year from now, it's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I can see moments when I react in a way that was not my intention. Um, mm-hmm. That's usually a good indicator to me that I need to do a little bit of practice, a little bit of breathing, a little bit of meditation to kind of re-regulate myself. Fantastic. Oh, so needed. I, um, I want all the girls to be able to find you on, on the internets. <laughs> so where can the girls connect with you and learn all about, you know, the ins and outs of your, your trainings, your retreats, your workshops, but also, um, you know, the behind the scenes of you building this beautiful retreat in the Portugal uh, countryside. So my website is www.eva.yoga. That's it. There's a dot .yoga now. Uh-huh. Um, so just eva.yoga. And then on Instagram, I'm Eva Maxine. And Maxine is my, my middle name. My mom named me that because Eva means life and Maxine means great. She wanted me to have a great life, which um, so far so good. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, my Facebook is just yeah, Eva.yoga. Fantastic. Um, There's um, some amazing um, workshops that you have coming up, aren't there? What's um, a couple of the newest ones that are up? Yeah, this year I'm mostly doing some retreats and some teacher trainings. I've got a retreat coming up in Morocco in March. We've got two beds left. Um, and then in May, I'm doing our first teacher training here in Portugal. So in Portugal... Our, our home is on a 300-year-old vineyard, and it's a working vineyard, so this will be the third September that um, we harvest grapes. Last year, we harvested 20 tons of grapes, and wow. uh, it's just really gorgeous view. We're in the Douro Valley, which is about an hour and a half from Porto, and it's the only region where they make ports, so you get really lovely ports and really lovely wines, and um, it's just lovely in the summer lots and lots of fruit trees and olive trees we made our own olive oil last week and we're just really excited to share this place so we've got a teacher training here on the chakras in may we've got one here on yin yoga in june oh no in july and uh-huh. one here on restorative yoga in october and then i'm also teaching the yin yoga course in italy in june and in canada in august Oh, fantastic. And ladies, I'm not just saying this because she's a dear friend, but I've also practiced very consistently with her when I was living in Edinburgh and she was one of my near and dear teachers and her, I have practiced and I practice yoga in four different continents and she is absolutely one of the best. So introverted babes find her on, on the gram or on uh, the internet. Thank you. Thank you so much. I feel so honored by that. 
And I'll say also, if you're feeling very introverted and you want to do yoga without leaving your home, I've got lots of classes on my website as well. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because um, I believe you have given a little gift um, to all the Find Your Focus babes for the month of March 2020. Is that correct? Yes. So if you are able to send us your email, you can email me at evahamiltonyoga at gmail.com and just tell us that you listen to the Find Your Focus podcast. All I need is your email address. And if I get that before or in the beginning of March, I will set you up with one month of access to my online classes. And there's over a hundred different videos. And these include content that's like yoga for anxiety, um, and I developed a lot of that when I was creating programs for the Canadian Mental Health Association, um, as well as classes like myofascial release, self-massage, yin yoga, restorative yoga, and some more active classes too. Oh, fantastic. And ladies, get on that. That is one month free for the month of March in 2020. And send us a little message and let us know what you think of Eva's fab classes. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hopefully I gave you the boost you needed to start your week. If it did, it would be appreciated if you spent two minutes right now to give this podcast a review on iTunes and then share the episode with an introverted friend who needs to hear this message. Your review will make sure other ambitious introverts who are struggling to find their voice and focus find this show and can receive the love and support we hope you felt today. Thank you. And remember, your perceived introverted weaknesses are your powerhouse.